This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, Episode 20. And that's what I tell my, my GAs when they come in. You're going to learn a lot from me. You might learn some good stuff, but you're also going to learn what not to do sometimes because that's going to happen. And that's more valuable sometimes than knowing what to do. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, NSCA Head Strength and Conditioning Coach Scott Caulfield. With me today, my guest, Michael Dosher, Director of Strength and Conditioning at Valdosta State University. Coach, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's an honor. It's great to be here. We are down in sunny Orlando, Florida at the CSCCA annual conference. Uh, looks like a great turnout you guys have here. It's a great turnout and just try, everybody's just trying to get better, help each other get better and um, working on joining and improving our profession as a whole. Love it. Love it. And I just sat through uh, a session that you uh, presented on with your co-presenter, Andy Gillum. Um, and you guys were talking about one of the questions that people, if they listen to my podcast here, uh, will be familiar with, but, um, the importance of evaluation of professional development. And one of the questions we ask on this often is how you think strength coaches should be evaluated. So I know that's kind of a hot topic of yours personal. Yeah, we're, we, we came up with this presentation, Andy and I, because Andy's a sports psychologist, and he, we sat down, and he wanted to talk to, uh, to talk to me and write articles about how we're evaluated, what's fair to evaluate, why are good coaches getting fired, and all that. So we're coming up with these tools to how to look at ourselves and how to justify why we should not get fired or, or have a standing of how we're being evaluated, how we're being viewed in our athletic department, by our staff, by our athletes, so we have a background and, and basically ammunition to stand up and say, well, why am I being fired? Because of wing losses or you're going in a different direction? Well, how are we going in a different direction if we've been successful in this direction in the weight room? It's taking, not taking, passing the blame because everybody has blame on bad season. All that everybody can improve, but taking it and putting it in the right areas of what we need to improve on. Does this guy really need to be let go, or was it another situation we need to improve on? So that's what we're trying to do with this, these tools. We're trying to develop tools, and then plus, Andy has the gift of coming with fresh eyes and saying, "Okay, you want to be evaluated this way, this way. How do you see yourself?" And then video you and say, "Well, you're saying in this way, but you're actually coming off this way," and help you develop and grow. So you become better to help your athletes, how to reach athletes more, how to reach your administration more, and just become overall what, what your weaknesses are or what you need to help work and grow on yourself so you can improve what you improve the program. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting takeaway. So you talked about um, video feedback, right? It's a huge thing for us as strength coaches today, using video feedback in the weight room. But you're talking about using video feedback to give yourself as a strength coach uh some feedback about like where you where you tend to walk or who you exactly. tend to spend covers time the whole thing. it videos you of what you're actually doing and you can look at it. now andy's not the type of guy that's gonna say don't curse don't yell don't do that he's gonna say well here's what i saw here's what you need to work on here's the things that you are like movement one was really fast me he actually has the, there's an app that you put on a phone or, or some type of device and you walk around your weight room like you do normally it tells you where you spend most of your time I think that's invaluable. Why was I down here so much? Why am I not over here? Why am I? And you can analyze what you do during your day. Or am I behind the desk too much? Am I not on the floor enough? And it just tells you your day, where you're doing, and who you're with, because you know what racks you were at, or where you were in the weight room, or what you were doing at a time. And it gives you a perspective of are you coaching, or 
are you hitting the right people? Are you spending too much with the kids that are doing it right and not enough time with the kids that are trying to hide? Or, or maybe you're with too much of ones that hide and you're not with the guys that are doing it right, which then feel left out. So it's a great idea and it's something we're trying to touch on. It's in the infancy phases right now, but we're trying to build up a scoring of how we can do this. Yeah, it seems like it would be an easy one for coaches to implement too, which obviously makes it a lot better if you're saying, hey, look, this is really easy. You already do this with certain things. Um, you guys talked a little bit about formal versus informal evaluations. Can you talk, talk a little Form- bit about how that differentiates and why it's important? Yeah, formal is ones we sit down and they ask you questions and, and uh, you know, you're being judged with satisfaction, non-satisfaction and all that. Those are your everyday end-of-year evaluations or end-of-season evaluations. Informal ones are when you're in the locker room. Coach says, hey, what's going on here? I heard this. What's going on with this? I heard this was going on. Those are the informal ones that you get constant feedback on. You should. If you're not, then that's probably one you need to improve on because if you're not having good communication and informal meetings and evaluations, then then you know, there's a problem. And even in the weight room with your own staff, if you're not having informal evaluations, seeing a guy do something wrong, coaching him wrong, and not fixing that there or waiting to a formal, you're missing the point of it. So our field is very unique that you need both regularly to have formal and informal. And actually more informals is more of a teaching tool than evaluation, but still evaluating and saying, hey, this is what I saw. We need to fix this right away so we can help our athletes quickly. Well, those are, those are great ones. And how who should be the ones that, you know, is evaluating you? It's multiple levels and diff- all different feedback. Multiple levels. And, and this is where, as being a head guy, you have to humble yourself, which we talked about in the, in the thing, too, is you have to de- let them evaluate you. Hey, coach, I saw you did this. Because they're going to catch stuff that you don't realize you do. And that's what it's got to be is humble yourself because it's about the program, the athletes getting better, and the whole department getting better. So you have to be able to accept from your graduates, your interns, something they catch you doing. And accept that, and your AD accepting, and your coaches accept because we're all not perfect. So we have to make sure that we're uh, we're always evaluating everybody. Everybody's evaluating everybody, and it's a non-biased and a non-judgmental way. It's just here's the facts, and you have to be humble enough to take that, even if it's an intern saying, "Well, I saw you doing this. I thought you said that." I mean, you're right. I made a mistake there. I need to work on that. Correct. Yeah, I think that's a tough one too for you know when you're talking about the self-reflection stuff. A lot of people. Uh, maybe when they're younger aren't quite maybe as willing to be open to someone telling them giving them some suggestions even if it was a peer or a subordinate right or an athlete so uh, it's interesting sometimes to me that it sometimes takes us getting a little older and wiser before we're able to open the doors to some of that stuff yeah absolutely (laughs) I tell them like my thing is I I never want an athlete to come back and say coach I wish you should have could have would have done this or done that or done that I'd rather them tell me there right then and there that hey coach I wish you would treat me more like this. And then understand what he's trying to say instead of just say, well, I don't care. Understand, because if you reach him, he might be the next All-American because you right. touched him and reached him. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah. And some of this stuff, uh, you guys got some of this feedback from uh, some data collection that you did um, mm-hmm. with a study. But uh, three out of five in one of the slides supported them, want, coaches wanting a more in-depth evaluation. So... From what you guys have seen and to people you've talked to, does it sound like coaches really aren't getting a very sound or, or what they feel like is a r- realistic evaluation right now? Realistic is the word, a more honest evaluation. Most coaches just, you're satisfied, you're doing great, you're doing fine. Well, that's not good enough if we want to make the program better. We know, okay, what do I need to improve on? What, do I, what am I doing well or what do you think I need to do better on? 
to improve instead of just a satisfactory. I mean, satisfactory, okay, if you're an athletic department, right, you never want to be satisfactory. You always right. want to be better. What can I do? I don't want satisfactory. I want to know what I need to improve on. Yeah, that's always a frustrating thing when uh, in in other areas and different reviews I've seen, it's like, well, no, this, you know, satisfactory means you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. So, like, satisfactory is, is actually really good. Well, no, nobody wants to just be the, the that level. Right. <laughs> nobody, that, nobody that we know that are, you know, A-type strength and conditioning coaches. Or want to be a champion. You never tell your athletes, right. well, you're satisfactory, you're going to be a champion. No, satisfactory not. You have to be above average, excellent to elite to be a champion. You have to go outside that norm, and that's what – Anybody that really wants to look at themselves and go outside the comfort zone and grow has to do that. Has to say, I can't be status quo if I want to make that 1% difference for our athletes to be better. So if somebody was listening to this and just kind of didn't see the lecture, but they're like, man, wow, those guys just hit on a couple key things. What what would you recommend would be like your kind of starter kit for someone that wanted to, to get more into this area of uh, evaluation? You, uh if you go to the CSCCA website, they'll have it on the website. You can download it, I'm assuming, because it's all in oh, yeah, presentations. Yeah. The and presentations you can look at there, page. and then you can email Dr. Gilliam or myself, and we can send you in a direction to look at more, ask questions. Because actually, that is Dr. Gilliam's field. He'll come in and help you and look at you by video, by Skype, or whatever. And you can do it at home and, and go that way. Great. No, that's a hot topic. I think we could probably spend the whole hour just talking about that if we really wanted to. Um, but I know there's a lot of other things that we got to tap into your experience with and one of them you've been at valdosta for your entire 20-year career Uh, i've been 25 25 i've been i've been a full-time person at Valdosta state for 20 years before that i was at mississippi state for three i gained my master's Um, before that i was at unlv as a restricted earnings coach Um, again getting in the field before that i was doing an internship for my undergrad at uh Boston College and my undergrads at Springfield College. Okay. So those are my route of getting to where I am and been at Velocity State for the last 20 years. That's awesome. So talk, I guess, a couple, I have a couple questions off that is, one, you know, how do you have any keys to success for being employed in this profession for 25 years, but also staying at one university for 20 years is pretty, I mean, it's impressive. You see a lot of people in other professions stay at jobs for that long, but it seems like in strength conditioning, uh, we haven't, when we hear about someone that's been somewhere 20 years, 17 years, like, oh, wow, you know, what are you doing different? Or is there? I guess what's doing different is I am division two. I'm not division one. We're still a high profile division two, but we're still division two. So funding and everything's done a different way than is division one sometimes we do other things to help fund our our salary but also when i first got started there wasn't really full-time strength coaches at division two so i was one of the few that was a full-time at at division two and staying there is one i do I, i do my job I do my job, I do as well as I can, and I try to constantly learn, and I, I compromise. I learn to compromise and do everything I can. Number two is, is that it was, it, there's not, there hasn't been a right family move for me. And it's, it, to me, I love what I do, it's who I am, it's my job, and I work, you know, like we all do, 60, 90 hour weeks sometimes. But at the end of the day, it's a great family spot. My wife works at the college also, in the biology department, it's a good family life. I have a good church. My kids have gone to good schools, and they have, we have very good friends. 
So it's more about that situation. That's why I haven't moved because I have we haven't found a family move yet. Either the money wasn't right or the area wasn't right or. And it, that's a big important thing. Some people yeah. move to move, follow money, and next year they're not they're not coaching anymore. Right. Here I'm doing what I love. I have athletes that trust me and work real hard for me. I have coaches that don't leave me alone, but let me do my job. We have yeah. discussions. We talk about what we need to do and get on the same page. But they let me do my job. Yeah. So I have a very good life here. It's yeah. and I'm improving. I've taken from just me to having now three GA. So everything's moved in the right direction. So. That's why I've been there for 20 years. Yeah, that's great to hear, though, too. And so working with uh, different sport coaches over the course of your career, kind of how do you develop relationships with sport coaches and, like, educate them about what we do and why we do it and why it's so important? How do you build that trust with them? Time. Time and honesty and some good heated discussions and standing your ground, fighting the battles you should fight and compromising where you need to compromise and Basically, if it ain't going to hurt the athlete, he wants something one way, it doesn't really matter. Don't fight that battle. Yeah. You know, and because the man's been successful, they don't hire unsuccessful coaches. Right. They don't, right. you, people don't get hired being losers. Right. They hire winners. So, obviously, what he does is successful. How can you make him more successful is what you're going to show him. Yeah. Coach, you've done this, this, and this, but there's a better way to do that. And showing him the better ways and saying, Coach, I really like what you do here. And because obviously he's won with some stuff. So, make the stuff that he's won with still there and the other stuff. Coach, we can improve this. And once you improve, he's like, oh, crap, we've just won two or three more games now on top of that. And, of course, that's a win-lose, but that could be that 1% that makes a change that make him even more successful or make the whole program more successful because it's not about him at the end of the day. It's about the kids being more successful and buying into the program. And if you can do that, with they see the improvement, see you're changing and making them better, that's what's going to make them better. At the end of the day, the player is the one playing, not us. Right, right, right. No, that's a great point. And showing them, showing the coaches maybe uh, some little things that you kind of lead them into maybe thinking that they had a decision in making too, right? That's the thing too, is yes, making it always think it's their idea. And it doesn't matter. And that's one thing I've learned and been in for 20 years is I'm at the point where I don't want the recognition because the kids should get the recognition. It's not about that. It's about the kids and getting them better I don't care who get if the head coach gets hey you did a great job with that that was a great idea and it was really yours who cares right the kids got better it creates success that's the most important thing yeah um, and throughout your career you've you've mentored a lot of people you've been a, mentored by other coaches you know who are some of the whether it be sport coaches or strength coaches uh, you know who have had the most influence on you as a you know growing coach? Well, Coach Austin by far is he's the one that got me. You know, took me in at, at Vegas after Boston College, and he, I he's the reason why I'm in the field. He's an unbelievable man. I, I, he's my mentor and true. Alvin Mill, I've talked to him several times. He's an unbelievable guy. Matter of fact, I mean he, he he's forgotten more than I'll ever know. So is Dan, uh, Dan Dalrymple. People I've you know people I've been in the field a long time. We you know I started in '88. You know, going to the NSCA conferences and all that, and in uh, Philadelphia was the first one I went. And Boyd was there. I sat next to Boyd. I sat next to uh, um, Dr. Stone, and I sat next to Bill Kramer, Dr. Kramer. I didn't even know these people. I'm sitting next to him at at a bar at that time, and just talking with him. I didn't even know who I was talking to at the time. And the next thing I know, I see their names, and I I got to share. And that's the thing is, is everybody I meet, I try to learn something from my GAs. Because my dad taught me something when I was young. Hire people smarter than you and stronger in your weaknesses. So I try to learn from everybody. Everybody can offer me something, and I try to learn from everybody. But, you know, Coach Austin's my mentor, Al Vermeil, that whole group. 
Uh, Ron McCaffrey is another great one I talk to a lot. So just everybody. Yeah. No, and uh, Joe Ken says that a lot, you know, that he hires people that round him out better because you don't want an entire staff of you coaching your athletes because then you're just going to have replicas of you around. And Coach Mack talked about it too. Right. Um, and, the, and the thing with that is also is when they leave you, they have to be their own person because they're going to be at a different facility with different weight rooms, different sizes, different athletes, different coaches. And if they're just you, they don't know how to change. They need to have their own philosophy so they can stand the ground and adapt to what they are into. And that's the biggest thing there. Yeah. And so, yeah, going out, you know, all right, building them up. What what are some of the kind of key things that you're uh, – looking for or that you feel that you know young strength and conditioning coaches should really be focusing on learning as they're coming up today there's some like you got to read this book or you got to do this you got to do that well that's a want to they don't got to they have to want to and that's one thing a coach always told me if you got to do something that's not good it's got to be a want to go do something and that's the kids you look for the ones that want to improve they they want to go out and, and visit people they want to do stuff that's they're not knowledgeable at and that's one thing young kids sometimes these days don't there's they gotta be told or pushed i want a guy i have to pull back i'd rather pull a guy back than have to kick his butt to push him forward and that's what i look for when i people that want to go do it and that's hey slow down slow down pull him back that's a little too advanced right now but they want to want they want to you know not want to kick hey why don't you go do this why don't you do that no Hey, come back a little bit and stuff like that. So it's the go-getters that are really going to be successful in this field. But with the humility and uh, the honesty with themselves that I need to learn this. Not that I already know what I'm going to just go say I did. No, the humility to learn. And even if you don't agree with it, learn something from that. And that's what I tell my, my GAs when they come in. You're going to learn a lot from me. You might learn some good stuff, but you're also going to learn what not to do sometimes because that's going to happen. And that's more valuable sometimes than knowing what to do. Right. We might have done something and something failed. You learn not to do that or go at it a different way. So as we tell our athletes, you learn more from failure than every do successes. For sure. So that's one thing is take something that went wrong, learn from it, and then correct it so you don't make the mistake again. Sure. Can you think of anything off the top of your head that, that you've, in an example like that, that you learned from that you were, you know, really kind of like, oh, man, we can can't do it that way again coming into the first Bella State coming into the first job is not knowing my coach and think I knew it all and trying to tell him what we were going to do yep. and that's the <laughs> biggest mistake ever right there just I got this I know what I'm doing yeah. telling the athletes you just do what I tell you and right. not learning them first before trying to coach them right. and I mean I tell my athletes now I said look I'm here to help you I'm a tool for you to use anything we do here is not punishment it's to help you get better. So if you have a question asked, instead of it's my way or the highway, I've learned more to be, you know, it's still my way or the highway, but it's done in a manner that this is here to get you better. It's not punishment. Yeah. And sometimes you come off when you're young, it's, it's punishment. I'm doing my way and no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An educated athlete will work harder for you than an athlete that has to feel like he has to do it. Yeah. You have to give him the want to do it, and that's educating him. And that's one thing I've learned. And my biggest mistake was coming in thinking I knew everything. You guys know nothing. And, right, right. And, Obviously, from Jersey and all that, that yeah. kind of built into you sometimes. But, you know, um, that is just the ability to come in and see the whole picture first and learn what's going on before they try to implement what you want to implement. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you're the your support staff for that program. You're not – it's not the strength and conditioning team, no, right, it, that they're playing. They're not playing – 
right and that's, that's another thing too is another thing that we have to realize as a profession and, and we do a good job of it but younger kids you know as coming in fresh another mistake I meant is I forgot some aren't going to like lifting yeah. and that's fine because they're, they're athletes they're baseball players football players basketball players that's their love and passion the lifting on the side is just like the part of the job you don't like to do we all have jobs we all part of jobs we don't like to do you have to understand that that the same athlete is the same way not every athlete loves to lift because he's an athlete but convincing him that you have to do your best at it to be professional at your job even if you're in college a college athlete you have to be professional and do this to your best ability because it's what helps you perform at your highest level on the field or quarter or competition no that's huge because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening that, that are sitting in that position right now and have athletes that they don't that don't is that kind of the the key that you would say like just telling them you know that you're a professional and that this is your sport and this is going to make you better that's how you get right and, and it's just part of your job so some athletes are like man I gotta go lift okay you don't like lifting I understand that but when you this is part of your job your body is your business so this is how we're taking care of your body so you can be ready to play the game you love just work as hard as you can and that's what a true champion does anyway is they work hard at things they don't like to do because that makes things they have to, the, the game so much easier that's great. You talked a little bit earlier about the, you know, your first NSCA conference getting involved. I know you've traveled uh, for the NSCA. Can you talk a little bit about some of the, you know, volunteer stuff that you've done and some of the interaction that you've had opportunities to go overseas? Just tell us a little bit about how you got involved with that and what you did. Well, I was very, you know, when I first started with the NSCA and stuff, I, you know, went to the conferences and all that, and then somebody asked me to speak, so I spoke at one of the lectures and and had good feedback there, which surprised me because I always think I ramble on and I'm in, <laughs> I, I, you know, talk a mile a minute and everything like that. But they were they were happy with that, and um, you know, I talked more often, talked at some conferences and some and some clinics and stuff. I even had a clinic in Velocity State once or twice, um, and then they they came at me of the first time going to uh, China to speak at China with them, and I was that's a great honor, and I I went, and then I. I guess I've, I did a well enough job that they asked me two more times to go, and it was a real honor to do that. And it's real eye-opening how athletes are athletes around the whole world. And one of the things, the first time I was there, it was really nice. We uh, flew into Beijing, and it was two weeks before the Olympics, and that was all going on, so people started showing up. But we got flown to the high-altitude training center, where it's kind of like our Olympic training centers. And I was coming back after a meal, walking back to our dorm, and there was kids playing. So I went over there and watched them, and then the ball got kicked to me accidentally. So I went over there and I started playing with the kids, and just like any place else, the kids were athletes. They wanted to have fun, have a good time, and it brought the purity back of yeah. how you know all that is and stuff. It's just it was just people are people, and I that was that's one of the biggest things I took away from wherever we are. I mean, you could be communist, whatever this that. At the end of the day, we're all people. We're all more similar than we are not. That's super cool, yeah. Did you uh, eat anything that still had a head on it when you were in China? Yes, I ate stuff that had on it. Uh, one of the most, anything was fried yak blood. Oh, that was interesting. Um, and yes, uh, chicken feet, uh, cow t- uh, yak tongue, um, yes. But didn't want to insult them and right. ate, ate an eel, um, baby eel. Um, so it was it was interesting. Yeah. Well, we had a deal with our translator that he didn't tell us what we ate until after we had already tried it. So we didn't want to know ahead of time. That same thing. <laughs> Patrick Henry and I, when we went, we were the same way. Matter of fact, Patrick Henry and I, we had a, uh, a what are those things called? Chopsticks battle. They, they wanted to they make fun of us. They were trying to say, 
they may have had like several different pieces of food and we had these chopsticks whenever we finished first we'd get you know <laughs> joke and Jay Dawes and I did that too one time we had chopsticks what could you pick up with chopsticks and eat that's funny that's so. funny <laughs> um, cool well getting back to the profession um, and you know we're here at CSCCA. We're talking about NSCA and CSCCA working together, different things. What What do you think right now is the biggest challenge in our profession? And you know, is is there some areas that we the two organizations can work together? What's your What's your suggestions or thoughts that you have along those lines? My thoughts on that is um, we need to unite somehow, um, and we need to have each other's backs. Right now, it seems like we don't, and I don't mean that ugly. I don't mean that thing. It's just the College Strength and Conditioning Coach Association need to be developed because we have to look strong and united in front of the NCA because that's all they care about is colleges. They don't care about the MLB, the NFL, the high schools. Even, I mean, even the high schools broke off and have their thing now. They don't care about personal trainers or research. Yes, we utilize that, but the NCA cares about the College Strength and Conditioning Coaches, and that's why that was developed. And Basically, that should be the forefront of the NCA. It should be that kind of organization with the NSCA's backing. It should always be together because we're all str- we're all dealing towards detraining athletes. But it's a niche that has to be done because the NCAA only recognizes college stuff. They don't care about the others. And with the NSCA having so many different fingers, that kind of weakens their standpoint with the NCAA. Having the College Strength and Dish Coach Association that just has college strength coaches we're going to address those issues that we have with the NCA, not what the MLB issues are, not what the personal trainers issues are or the researchers issues are. We have our own special laws and bylaws that the NCA doesn't understand. And that's one yeah. thing we, that's why the College Strength and Education Association needs to be the leader in that and stand out for the NCAA. And we need the backing of the NCA saying, yes, we, we understand that, we support that. And that's my thing. It's gotta be much compromise and understand why it was developed yeah no we had a we had a good discussion about that earlier and i know that we uh we nsca and cscca have you know a meeting coming up with ncaa um probably in the next month or two um and you know to be able to come together and figure out what we're going to be able to work together on to provide a united front to them because like you said that that is what they're looking for because and this is the point i'm trying to make is the, N- the athletic trainers, the NATA, they're part of the NSCA, they get to credit unions, but you never see them have the problem because they're united as an athletic training group for the NCAA and they're on the safeguard committees and all that. But because of we're, our division, the NCAA doesn't recognize strength coaches, which we're getting the fingers pointed at, it's not pointing back the other way, and those are the things we need to get fixed because we need to have a strong front saying, we're the college strength coaches, we're the ones handling this problem. That we're backed by the NSCA, but we are the forefront of this, and we need to be sitting on that safeguards committee. Yeah, no. and it needs to be one, and I don't mean that. It just needs to be one, not two, because one's stronger than having two people sitting on there. Yeah, yeah, and that's I think why the that whole united front is. It's going to have to be together. But um, so you you know talking about NCAA, you've been you know basically 25 years in NCAA. How come? How come you haven't made the jump to the pros or to uh, tactical or, you know, why why stay in NCAA for your entire career? Because it's, as I said, family. It's been not been family, but I've been, I've been interested. And if the right move came, you know, my child, my son now, who's 17, has got one more year of senior year. My daughter's 15, just finishing up her freshman year. Um, it just wasn't time to move. But now as they get older, 
you know, other, if other opportunities do present themselves, I would love to see what the professional leagues are like. Um, I would love, you know, some people say high school is awesome. I don't, um, some people say the private sector is tough as heck. Uh, that I'm, I was brought up where you have to know how to pay your bills at the end of the month. Yeah. So an entrepreneurism is not in my blood, to be honest, because I'm a bill payer, and that yeah. tells me one reason why I'm not an entrepreneurism. Um, but, I mean, I'm always open. It just has to be the right door to walk through. Sure. I always open doors. I knock on them, see if they open, and then I make decisions off of that. I always try to keep my options open, but this was the best option for my family, for everything else. Plus, sometimes it just weren't opportunities. I wasn't asked. Yeah. There was somebody better than me or knew somebody more than I sure. did, and, and that's a profession. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's the nature of the beast, right? Yes. Um, how about are there any kind of uh, common myths or misconceptions about being a college strength coach? <laughs> There's a myth in co- about everything. I mean, um, all we do is yell and argue and fight and punish, and that's the biggest myth that our – bounce around, jump around all day that we're meatheads. I mean, that's the biggest misconception yeah. because, I mean, there's a lot of people in there that talk way above my head, and I'm just yeah. like, wow. You know, we're, we're, you have to be intelligent to do what we do because you're dealing with so many different facets of personality, of program design, of meeting needs of certain. So it's, it's a great balancing act. You are a jack of all traits and a master of none at some times because you have to know a little bit about everything because you're with these kids and with these coaches more than you're with your family. Yeah. So, I mean, but the, the one the thing that is the most is we are the ones that the real reality is they see us more than they see their regular coaches. Right. We are the backbone of every athletic program. Right. We're not the person, but we are the backbone because we're the one that sets the tone and mentality that the coach wants or we want to have established so that the athletes will perform at the highest level because they see us every day. Yeah. There's hardly a time when you don't see an athlete. So, yeah. and it's just, it's a f- beautiful profession. I love yeah. it. There's nothing else I would do in the world that I could think of right now because this is what I, who I am and what I've done because I've been an athlete my whole life and and stuff. So, yeah, I, the, the meathead, uh, misconception does crack me up because too when I think about the people that I look up to the most now in strength and conditioning uh, I don't want to say they don't look like they train but like most of them aren't your typical what people would think is a you know strength coach like but but if you look at those guys that are huge like there's plenty of people in our profession that are great big strong guys and they're very intelligent too you have to be intelligent enough to develop and train yourself and develop your athletes to be that way it's not that easy everybody thinks it's easy to go win and lift no it's not there's a science behind it and that's why there's a science and an art so you have to embrace that you have to be able to embrace that that idea of it's not it's not all just lifting. It's a right. lot of other that right. goes into it, to, and it's a lot of thought behind what we do. You just can't throw something on the wall and make yeah. somebody bigger yeah. or stronger or better at their sport. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple of questions kind of about um, career-wise, professional development, but what, what advice do you have for coaches out there that are listening that have to manage staffs? So, you know, you talked about evaluations, but what other maybe, you know, kind of – key takeaways would you have for people who have to manage their staffs? So as the first thing I say is hire people smarter than you and stronger than your weaknesses. That's one thing when you're managing a staff. Um, don't micromanage. Worst thing you can ever do is hire somebody and micromanage them. Let them make mistakes. Teach them they made a mistake. Let them grow. 
get your advice from them and, and, and show them why, okay, I, that's a great idea, but this will be better. Or let them, like I do my, 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 my GAs, they have to develop the program then come to me and justify why they're doing it. I'm going to be a sport coach, and they're going to have to justify why we need to do this program. Cool. So that just let them grow. Let them make mistakes. Let them learn. But don't belittle them. Don't micromanage them and make them feel like nothing. They have abilities. Let them use them. That's why you hired them. And for interns, that's another thing. Um, my interns actually do jobs. They don't just clean. They have assignments. They have stuff to grow on. Because um, my dad taught me another good trait. Um, you want to hire somebody for their next position. So you, that's your job as being the head strength coach. If you have a GA, you want to train him how to be an assistant. He already should have known how to be a GA from being an intern. You want to hire them for their next position. So if it's an assistant, you want to teach him how to be the head. So start teaching him how to do administration stuff, how to handle this. Bring him in to a meeting that, he, why am I going to this meeting? Because you're going to learn. Sit back and watch and learn. Give them every opportunity to grow to the next position. So when they have a job, the guy goes, well, you were a GA, but I've already did that. I've already done that. I've already, this is a situation I'm in. And he's more value than He's better suited to get hired. And that's why I try to do, try to prepare them for their next position. Don't just treat them at the position they are. That's awesome. That's great stuff. You're going to have a lot more people applying for your uh, GA and internship after they hear this uh, well, podcast. I could, I, could use, <laughs> I could use as many interns that want to come. And GAs, we... We'll have another one here in the year. I already hired one, so I have another one coming up in about a half year GA position right. open. Perfect. What uh, What do you think the number one reason that people fail to succeed in this profession is? Ego. Not be able to humble themselves or ego. They think they know it all. They try to force things instead of finding the common ground and developing from there and, and improving. We have to humble ourselves. I mean, the greatest quote that most leaders say is you have to follow the lead. You have to lead to follow. You have to do both. So it's just being able to work with athletes, understand that it's, it's a personal business. You are a help. You are not their one and only. It's not the highway. It's, you have to educate them enough that they want to work hard enough for themselves and their team. So That's so great. Yeah, and it's like you mentioned servant leadership you know, before too, but it's like yeah, you can still have a huge impact and be a leader, but you're really – there to serve the people that you work with exactly um cool well i have some kind of my fun slash different questions that we always kind of ask in this just to change it up a little but uh how about three people living dead or fictional that you'd like to have dinner or conversation with that i've been looking at that and trying to think (laughs) uh well one um would be my great-grandfather um I was really young when I met him, and we there's a lot of pictures of us hanging around and, and doing stuff. And I remember great memories of him, but they're not clear. And I'd like to go know him now as he was then. So that's one person I really, because I see pictures of how happy we were, but the memory of what we did is not there because I was so young. And I would just like to get to know him because he seemed like he molded me when I was young a little bit. Um, another person... Um, you know, it, it might sound funny, but, you know, great great people have habits that you want to develop and good, better, and different. But, you know, like a checkers person, the person, greatest person checkers because of chess, because yeah. the, the way the mind thinks, sure. you know, there's books out there how life is a chess match. 
and which moves you make to do what. Right. I, those are the type of people. I can't pick out names, but those yeah. are the type of people I would like to sit down and pick their mind and yeah, say, yeah. where'd you get this from? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the standard one, because of my religion, is sit down with Jesus and yeah. say, yeah. have a glass of wine with him and say, <laughs> help, you know, help me so but those I guess are the three yeah yeah no Lance Walker said uh, the the world's largest mouth bass because he's been trying to catch him for a while and he'd like to know some of his tricks <laughs> that's funny that's a good one um, how about I like to ask this one because I, I love hearing about what kind of some pet peeves of uh, strength coaches are but if you had a magic wand and you could eliminate any coaching practice what would you choose What would I choose? That would be um, ego. Trying to say it's my way or the highway, boom, 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 and I know it all, and uh, ego would be the one. I The ability to coach without the ego, but still have respect of the athlete, knowing that it's for him. You're not making him do it. He's educated enough to do it. So the ego of not saying, you have to do this. Now, with that being said, there are times when it happens, but 90% of the time, you don't have to be that way. Right. That's awesome. Um, and then how about if, and I know you've done this multiple times, so this is a, kind of a home run for you, but you're tasked with starting a new strength and conditioning program. You've got a limited budget. You can only pick three items. What do you, what do you got to start with? Only three items. A bar, weights, and a rack. <laughs> We go. That's all you Let's need. Keep it simple. <laughs> like Kiss method. Like keep that. it simple. And you fill in the last one. <laughs> um, and and then my last question, which I stole from Ron McKeefrey, and I give him full credit. I told him I was going to steal it, but uh, I turned this around on him a couple weeks ago in Missouri at the state clinic that we were speaking at, and he uses it with his athletes in some evaluation assessment stuff he does. But if you were not doing this career today, if it was. 25 years and you've been doing something totally different what would you be doing today I was funny thing is I, I before I wanted to be a strength coach and before the reason why I became a strength coach because of an injury and I was learning I was training correctly and stuff like that is I was actually going to be a pilot I was okay. going to go to the Air Force Academy and hopefully become a fighter pilot and stuff like that so that that was my next thrill I guess was going to be that very cool very cool and another servant servant leadership position in the military <laughs> oh, no blue collar blue, blue, blue collar just yeah um alright how can people reach you especially like I said you're gonna have some people interested in interning or GAing with you uh, but how, what's the best way people can find you email mdosher d-o-s-c-h-e-r at veldosta v-a-l-d-o-s-t-a dot e-d-u is my email address perfect and that's the perfect way to get a hold of me um and I'll respond back. Um, I'm, I said, I, I don't know it all. I don't know everything. I know what I know. I'm always trying to improve. So I'm looking forward to talking to people further. Fantastic. Thanks for taking the time, sneaking out of the uh, conference. And we'll both sneak back in. It's lunchtime. Hopefully no one even missed us. So oh. thanks for being on the show. We'll Thank talk you, Scott. To it was soon. an honor. Thank you very much. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.